My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not subject us to the final test. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend to whom he goes at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived at my house from a journey, and I have nothing to offer him. And he says in reply from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked, and my children and I are already in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, if he does not get up to give the visitor the loaves because of their friendship, he will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish? Or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you then, who are wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Gospel. <clears throat> How to get good customer service. You have to give whomever wrote that headline credit because if they get paid by the number of clicks that an article received, that creator had to have had a very good week. Any one of us who's ever had a bad experience with a customer service rep knows how frustrating it can be. Just two weeks ago, I was trying to renew a subscription to a newspaper, and intentionally I avoided calling and tried to use the link online. But once I kept typing in all the things required on each screen on the website and kept clicking to the next follow-up screen, whenever I would get to the final one, the most important one, where they're asking for your credit card information, it didn't work. And I wish I could tell you I was exaggerating that I did this at least six times on three different web browsers on two different computers. Even emailing their customer service department before actually picking up the phone to speak with customer service. That's how much I wanted to avoid dealing with a service rep on the phone. And when I finally did, I completely felt vindicated and not wanting to call in the first place. I was put on hold. The person on the other end of the line didn't seem to care, wasn't paying attention, I had to repeat the credit card number at least three times. And thanks to the timer on my phone, I know that it took exactly nine minutes and 47 seconds to do something 
that had the stupid website work that would have taken two minutes tops. Great, now I'm aggravated again. Anyway. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one who's ever had such an experience and we're so intrigued by seeing that headline, how to get good customer service. Because before even reading it, I'm trying to imagine what did this investigative journalist crack? What was he gonna reveal? Maybe he found out that when you get that menu on the phone prompting you to ask for something that has you screaming, representative. They found a, a secret code, like if you say VIP, you get special service. Or press star 911 and your, your wait time is eliminated and you put right to the top of the call list. Or maybe it would be something less flashy like practical advice, like call between the hours of 11 a.m. and 2 because those are the least peak times for most places. Anyway, what was their super secret advice? What was this breaking news that they had validated as effective? Stay calm. Don't be rude. Be clear, concise about your request. Praise the representative. Don't try to bend the rules or demand accommodations to clearly define principles. And they use an example of someone who knew that there was a baggage fee for a flight that they were going on who decided to scream at the representative working at the desk who had nothing to do with this corporate policy and just getting her supervisor did nothing to change that situation. Anyway, as I was reading all this, I was a little bit ticked off. Being <laughs> a life of being Italian and living from New Jersey has kind of conditioned me this way. Anyway, because I'm going, I, I know all this. Give me something new. Give me something different. But then it hit me, oh, this probably is news for a lot of people. And maybe it is actually a good reminder for me that, yes, if I want good customer service, I probably need to be a good customer. Yeah, if I dislike it when people are nasty and rude to me, perhaps I might not want to act that way to someone else. So there's no secret phrase, there's no magic formula. In short, if we want good customer service, then our posture and our demeanor and our attitudes have to change first. And that's not just the case with customer service. That's the same when it comes to prayer. Oftentimes, though, we, we like to approach God similarly, trying to win over a customer service rep and look at him like that. We might think, if I'm nice to him, if I do something good, like I get to Mass on a Sunday in the summer, no less, that I've got something coming to me, that God's going to advance me on my prayer request list. Or at least as a minimum, as I'm driving home from, from church, I'm not going to get a flat tire or something. And sadly, again, I can relate. <laughs> A few days after the debacle of renewing the newspaper subscription, I had a string of days where every possible thing that could go wrong did. From arranging my day around a service person coming to do work at the Newman Center who never showed up, where's that list again before I call that customer service number, to a computer malfunction which set me back a few days on some work, to just a whole bunch of other things that were going on, all while I'm doing stuff for him. I literally work at his office. So I was like, come on, Lord. Or to quote the great Satrisa of Avila, who one time during a rainstorm, she was walking back to her convent and she slipped down this embankment into a pile of mud. And she famously said, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. But the reality is, those tips for getting good customer service don't work with God. 
because God's not a customer service rep. But the answer to the disciples' request in that gospel, Lord, teach us to pray, it has a similar answer. Prayer is not about magic formulas or secret phrases. It's all about our posture and our demeanor and our attitudes and how we approach the Lord. It's about our relationship with Him. And today's scriptures teach us a lot about that. In the first reading, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And we hear about these ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that the sins were so great, the sins were so grave that God's about to destroy these cities. Now, people like to get distracted here and ask, well, what exactly were they doing? And it's good to remember that's never a healthy thing to do, to be curious about evil, to be curious about sin, because it opens us up to either being self-righteous about ourselves, thinking, well, I'm not as bad as that, or to be open to other temptations. When it comes to evil and to sin, keep in mind the dog poop principle. How much dog poop do you want in your home, a little or a lot? I've posed this question to college students and they actually stop and think. I'm like, the answer is none. <laughs> it's a trick question. There, that's the point. All sin is bad, so let's leave it there. We should all want all sin out of our lives. Well, for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, the people had turned away from God. They had stopped listening to him. They were not following his commands. And they had gotten very comfortable with that existence. And that's what was making their sins so great and so great. They hadn't considered themselves sinners. And once that happens, people can easily start to delude themselves thinking that they don't need God at all. Or even worse, to start thinking that they're God themselves. But all that aside, the, the focus on that first reading is on Abraham, who gets into this somewhat comical bargaining session with God. Lord, what if there are 50 innocent people? You wouldn't wipe out the entire city if 50 innocent people were there, would you? And then he continues in this bizarre auction-like approach. How about 40? Can you save Sodom and Gomorrah for 30? How about 20? Do I hear 10? And each time God responds, he would not do so. Despite the eventuality that, spoiler alert, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, which tells you how bad things were that not even tenants and people could be found. The reality is that Abraham engages in this dialogue with God and that God responds back. And that tells us some important things. God is not some disinterested, hidden, removed person or creature from his creation. He's not unmoved by the hopes and the fears of all his creatures about what's happening in his creation nor is he unaffected by our disobedience or our rejection. That dialogue shows that right from the beginning, God desires this life-giving discussion with his, where his creatures could give voice to all their doubts and their fears, their joys and their hopes with him. Abraham's example for prayer isn't a do this, don't do that outline. He's interceding for people he cares about. He's appealing to the love and the mercy of the God he already knows. And he once again places all of his trust in God's hands. Abraham's prayers are answered. 
and had ten, or we can even suspect even one, of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had done the same, things could have gone very differently for those cities. We see this even more fully and more beautifully in the gospel. Jesus Christ fleshes this out both literally and figuratively. In him, God becomes man and lives among us. And Jesus reveals God's name and identity in an even more loving, intimate manner. We don't have to remain distant creatures from our Creator or servants to a, a mighty master. Jesus reveals him as Father and continues on by telling us to, to never stop pleading, to never stop reaching out to him, to have that ongoing daily dialogue with him. Not simply spouting off things that we want or need, but acknowledging our primary need for him and the most essential want of our hearts, which is to be in communion with him. Because once that identity is clear, where we see him and we can relate to him as a loving father and recognize that in Jesus Christ, we ourselves are beloved sons and daughters, that hopefully reshapes all of our priorities and our lists and our intentions. That yeah, it's, it's fine to pray when you lost those keys, but hopefully our vision expands to say, I really wanna pray for those family and those friends who are lost. And I want you, Father, to help me, to use me to, to be able to reach them. Yeah, it's great for us to share our, our hopes and our dreams and to lay them out in our prayers. But hopefully we also stand in awe and say, wow, if the same Father who created all that is could care enough to want to hear from me, then maybe, just maybe, he has something to say to me as well. That he has a hope and a dream for me that I should want to hear about. May the example of Abraham and the teaching of Jesus call us to recognize this deep reality that God truly loves and cares about each of us. And so prayer isn't about trying to manipulate him to, to get our way or inoculate us from some trials or struggles, but rather to connect us to the one who knows us better than we know ourselves and oftentimes who loves us more and sometimes we love ourselves. And the more we engage in that, we come to the beautiful realization that prayer is meant to change us. St. Mother Teresa once beautifully put it, I used to pray that God would feed the hungry or do this or do that, but now I pray that he will guide me to do whatever I'm supposed to do, what I can do. I used to pray for answers and now, I pray for strength. I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us, and we change things.